Welcome to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming live to CHD TV. I think we're still on Facebook and even now to Twitter. So we're getting out there and we're reaching audiences. And I'm so excited that so many people really are living more of an informed life, thinking more critically about their decisions, doing some research and trying to align their life and their action and their purchases, what their values and their beliefs. And, you know, it's a long process. I'm not perfect myself yet. There's things I still need to to readjust. But this this whole show today is dedicated to, to just that, uh, we've got two individuals who um, who have chosen careers that al- align with their their beliefs and their values, and they help um, they help the world move in this great new direction. Not new direction, a, a, just a great direction. It's really sort of an old direction, but um, I'm kind of stumbling over myself. I'm going to bring on Dr. Javier Figueroa, my co-host for the day. Hey, Javier. Good to see you again, Bernadette. Yeah, good to see you. Good to see you. Um, I'm just, it's at the top of my head that last week on our show, we we covered something really important, those clinical trial studies of the uh, Genios vaccine. And we need to, uh, we need to stay on top of that because they're testing it. In my view, my interpretation of clinical trial regulations illegally. So that's something listeners, you know, we, we are going to still explore. Um, Before we bring on our guest, um, a couple of things I want to say, first of all, the views expressed um, on our program in both hours are not necessarily those of KKNW or CHD TV, but we are here experiencing one of the great foundations of our nation, and that is free speech. And as long as we try not to hit any of those words that get you kicked off of AM radio, we've got free speech going right here on KKNW. It's very exciting. Um, And um, Javier, I also wanted to let listeners know that right now they're still doing that listener survey. So um, I'm encouraging people to log on to 1150kknw.com and fill out the listener survey. And, you know, it's important if you like this show, you like the freedom of speech, the informed information, and and the fact that we can go touch on subjects that's getting others kicked off of YouTube, please go express that to this radio station and let them know that you appreciate um, this programming and you'd like to see more of it. So again, fill out the survey at 1150kknw.com. And there's going to be a prize for a lucky winner. They're going to give away a round trip passage for two on the Victoria Clipper to Victoria, BC, uh, plus a hundred dollar gift certificate to famous Dave's restaurant. So these are all in the, um, Pacific Northwest region here. So you'd have to fly in to get that Victoria Clipper if you're from anywhere else. But if you're in the greater Seattle area, that's an easy boat to jump onto to, to head up to Canada. So anyway, so thank you so much for doing that, for filling out that uh, survey. And uh, so now let's let's go ahead and bring on our first guest. His name is Kevin 
Kraus. Hey, Kevin, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, Bernadette, you certainly are. Fantastic. Kevin Kraus of Liberty Trace Farm. Welcome to an Informed Life Radio. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, Happy to be here, Bernadette and Javier. Thank you so much for having me this evening. You bet. And, you know, um, we, we try to just wear various hats, but in my uh, hatless stage as a mama bear, as an advocate, I do roam the halls of, of um, this state, Tennessee, and, and sometimes in Washington state as well, and even go up to Washington, D.C. on occasion. And it was while I was in Nashville, um, because there was some important legislation being heard regarding some uh, subjects of importance, like mRNA label, labeling mRNA. labeling products that have been injected with mRNA vaccines. That's what it was. And outside in the hall, I ran into this gentleman here. And I mean, as soon as he handed me his business card and it was Liberty Trace Farm. I mean, we, I mean, perfect name for a farm, sir, you know, to, to find kindred spirits, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Hey, how about telling us how you came up, um, came up with that Liberty Trace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bernadette, I don't know how far back you want me to go on the journey. I, uh, uh, gosh, I grew up as an Iowa farm kid. And so I had farming sort of in my genetics, if you will, went off and, and did a military career. Uh, when my wife and I decided uh, about 2008, we saw the movie Food Inc. And it got us critically thinking about food. Uh, where does it come from? Uh, is it as the movie portrayed? Uh, we also went to meet a fellow by the name of Joel Salatin after that movie uh, down at Polyface Farm in Virginia and got to see his perspective and hear mm-hmm. his perspective on on uh, farming. And uh, I'm, so if we, I could interrupt just a second, we, Kevin, mm-hmm. it's been a while since I, I saw Food, Inc. and some of our yeah. listeners might not have heard of it. Can oh, you sure. explain what that movie was about? Absolutely. It was, a, I consider, a very well-done documentary. Uh, it was a limited release at the time. It's available, I think, quite commonly now on Netflix and, and other locations. Uh, but they do a bit of a deep dive. Uh, the overriding premise of the movie is that our food has changed more in the past 50 years than it has in the previous 10,000. And they go about diving into that a little bit. How uh, when you walk into the grocery store and you see a land of plenty, uh, apparently a land of plenty, uh, by and large, you know, most of that comes from corn and soybeans in uh, a highly processed form. Uh, if you want real food, you have to you have to start to do some research and search for it because most of it is just kind of uh, made up, highly processed and has the appearance of food. Uh, they delve into the methodology about where the raw ingredients come from you know, corn and soybeans and the, uh, the asides used heavily today, the, whether it's an insecticide, fungicide, herbicide, et cetera. Uh, they delve into the fast food world. And frankly, the link between those types of foods and the ultimate outcome in terms of human health. And it's, it's not a happy story, uh, ultimately. Uh, they also delve into big agriculture and, uh, you know, unfortunately, some of the monopolies that have taken over when I left Iowa as an Iowa farm kid, uh, my grandparents had a family farm and they were still able to make a go of it uh, without working a second job in town. Well diversified, raising hogs, uh, chickens, cattle, corn, soybeans, hay, etc. And, and in the movie, they 
you know, part of the reason it captured me was some of the characters were actually in Iowa. And, um, and you could see the, as I left home to go off to the Air Force Academy years ago, uh, I was kind of at a, a transition point, if you will, uh, at least as I look back on it, where the family farms were being, you know, migrated out. It was get bigger or go home kind of thing. So uh, like all, a lot of the small family farms, my grandparents' farm was swallowed up into the big thousand acre um, systems. And the movie portrays that as well. How uh, thing, you know, companies like Monsanto is easy to throw stones at, but, but literally they were creating patented seeds that were putting out some of the, uh, the farmers who are used to keep their own seed and plant from year to year were now uh, put out of business. They couldn't do that because it would somehow violate Monsanto's patent because uh, their pollen had blown into <laughs> their fields. And anyway, very sad story, but that was kind of the gist of the movie and it inspired my wife. It really struck a chord with my wife and I to really critically start to analyze well, where indeed, what is the data behind that movie? Where, uh, where is our food coming from and, uh, and what impact truly is it having on our health? Mm -hmm. I, I really admire that you saw a movie that really touched you in a huge way, mm -hmm. but you're a critical thinker. So you decided to go validate what the movie was portraying. You weren't just going to take it at face value. That, that that's what more this nation needs to do is be critical thinkers. And even if you agree with something, I mean, sometimes even more, if you agree with something, go Absolutely. check it out, right? <laughs> Which apparently Absolutely. is what happened to you. You, you thought, wow, mm -hmm. this makes sense, but you checked it out anyway. And, you know, right now, so much of what's going on is, is the complacency, the go along to get along, or mm -hmm. eh, it's easier just to trust them sort of thing. And, mm -hmm. um, and too too many decades of that get got us into a lot of trouble. Yes, ma'am, you are absolutely right. Uh, we we learned a lot along the way in our journey, and and I'm talking a long time to answer your short question of how we got to Liberty Trace Farm. Uh, we the movie really got us critically analyzing a whole lot of things, and it planted the idea that perhaps we could have our own farm someday. And as we we looked into how to have a a modern day regenerative uh, sustainable farm of a different uh, different take than industrial ag. Uh, it, we might need some marketing capability, if you will. So, gee, in, in Tennessee, there's these things called traces, which means paths, uh, like the Natchez trace is a road. We wanted something patriotic, so Liberty came about so I could have some sort of flag-like uh, emblem. Uh, so we decided we would want to be Liberty Trace Farm so that we could be the path to help set our customers free from the industrial agriculture program. That was, we probably overthought that, but that's uh, kind of how we came up with the name. Well, I, I don't know about Javier, but that actually makes me a little teary because it mm -hmm. makes me so happy. You know, yeah. the, this is the journey that just, it, it just warms my soul. I'm just so grateful. And, you know, I, this two hours of programming today, and don't worry about long answers. We got a full hour, so we're okay. good. Um, you know, as, as for people to see, you know, you can be influenced by something, then step back. And, you know, it's not always easy, is it, to, to oh, make no. that? It's a big, bold decision to to start a brand new business and kind of go against the grain and, and do the regenerative. Uh, well, maybe it's not against the grain so much as it was because of people like you. And so when did you start? When did the, the farm begin? 
Well, we got that idea in 2008 uh, and uh, started our research, our critical thinking, and and we read, you know, uh, more books than I can even remember now on multiple aspects of this, um, where our food comes from, its impact on human health, its impact on planet Earth, uh, how to farm in a different manner in harmony with planet Earth. Uh, so we started that research and and I wasn't uh, retirement uh, time in the military till 2015. So we kind of stewed on these things, if you will, for about seven years. Uh, we started to try and figure out where we might have our farm. Uh, we're not originally from Tennessee. I'm uh, originally from Iowa, my wife from Oklahoma. But we built a laundry list of things that we thought might be beneficial for a, a small farm, uh, a you know, an environment like perhaps Tennessee that would have plenty of rainfall for good quality pasture and and uh, close to a, a metropolitan area where there would be people who probably understood this and would be willing to pay what it took to get better quality food than not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we had a laundry list of things. Uh, affordability, certainly Tennessee was very affordable in 2013 when we bought our, our place and got started. And so we started in 2015 full out uh, as I left uh, my last military station and we got started. Uh, we've been raising beef, pork, chicken, turkey, eggs and ducks and uh, selling direct to the public since uh, it's about 2015. Wow, that is that is just so exciting. And, and I want to say uh, thank you for your service to this oh, nation. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank appreciate you. it. That was uh, to your the point of your theme of doing uh you know, something that uh, matches your beliefs. That was my first love, if you will, having a, uh, you know, sought, seeking to be a military officer. And I had a privilege to do that and serve with some amazing people. And, and frankly, it was kind of a tough call after that. What do I do next? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's as if I, I had all I ever wanted. So what, what do I do next? Where do I find any value in that? And once, uh, once, you know, the, the movie was, the timing was great because I started to come to believe, as I very much more do today, that, uh, you know, that one of the greatest threats to the future of the United States may not be from an overseas adversary. It's frankly from ourselves. We're creating a system that is uh, destroying the health of uh, not only our adults, but our children. And mm -hmm. uh, if you look very far into the future, we, uh, we have a lot of problems to deal with. And one of the foundational things that folks who can do start to understand this is to seek out and or, you know, raise food in harmony with nature. That's one one uh, significant approach to perhaps turn things around, if you will. And so this kind of became my new inspiration, if you will, to serve. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, and I'm saying this for all farmers, uh, whether you're industrial or you're regenerative, it is hard work and, and you are unsung heroes out there. So I don't want anybody to take offense that I'm critiquing their methodology because uh, to me, it's just a matter of you know, what you, what you come to learn and trust. And, and if there's a better way, I think every farmer in the world will be on it. Uh, we just need to show them a better way that, that uh, won't damage their pocketbook uh, en route to uh, that better way. Yeah, exactly. And you've said the word harmony a couple of times. Mm -hmm. I think that is so critical. Did you ever read anything or watch uh, the film about Lynn Margulis? She was a scientist and she um, her big focus was something she called symbiosis. Mm -hmm. um, and she didn't believe her idea in how she, when she examined nature down to the microscopic level, she's mm -hmm. it's not 
so much competition of the fittest. It's how do we all get along? Absolutely. And, and, you know, this war against microbes that we're on, the war against any bug that dares to eat the food you want to eat, the, you know, this war against the rest of nature ultimately is killing us. And we have to change that whole language. And years ago, one of our um, great moms out there in, in Washington State, um, she kept saying, end the war on microbes. It's just, mm -hmm. and I love that. I mean, that needs to be everywhere. We need to live in harmony. Of course, the huge problem is that big egg, big tech, big pharma, big all, all the bigs, they make money in doing things the wrong way and mm -hmm. doing things the right way, it, 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 it doesn't, it's not big. It has to be all these little individual. And I'm like looking at this picture behind you. For those of you on the radio, he's he's got this wonderful um, image behind him of his own healthy looking cows. They look huggable. I've never seen such healthy looking little cows there. And in this beautiful grass and you can kind of see the weeds and the trees. I mean, it, it's, it's so, organic for lack of a better word of describing it um very much in harmony uh there that's that's really what we need is is that harmony and we can do this though folks so you know we're starting up this um tennessee chapter children's health defense and washington state starting a chapter there as well and you know the big monsters the big tech the big egg the big all of that they thrive on our money hmm. And, you know, it, it's a lot like that movie, A Bug's Life. Um, Javier, do you ever show your kids? Do your kids ever watch that movie, A Bug's Life? One of those oh, yeah. Disney He's watched it several times. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and when those um, ants finally figure out that, you know, ants don't need grasshoppers, grasshoppers need ants. And the whole thing changes. And we are the ants, right? Mm -hmm. And And these bigs are the grasshoppers. And if we quit feeding them, they're, they might raise a ruckus. They might start trying to pull their weight, but ultimately they go away. They either they have to re-transform themselves into something that we will support or they die, right? And it, easier said than done because extricating yourself from this modern life that we have, from, you know, the ease of shopping, the everything's so easy. They get us with convenience. They do. Absolutely get us with convenience. And um, yeah, but but we can do this, but we all have to do our part, right? It's mm -hmm. it's all of us doing our part, making better choices along the way. And um, and you can do it in baby steps, but we all have to be stepping in that direction. Mm -hmm. Javier, do you have any questions here? It's, I always have to ask Javier because I talk about 90 miles an hour. And if I don't open a little window, his voice doesn't enter the conversation. So. <laughs> Well, one of the um, the process that you had to go, I mean, did you, you grew up in Iowa, you had some farm experience. Um, was it harder than you thought it was going to be? Uh, well, it is, it is hard work. So again, my hat's off to every, every farmer out there. Um, I feel like I had a great foundation as a kid. Uh, you know, as kids, we never appreciate necessarily the lessons that grandpa and dad and everybody are teaching us, but I certainly did once we got started here. Uh, they had they had set me up pretty darn well learning how to, you know, do some basic welding and carpentry and this, that, and the other. So I had a pretty good set of skills, uh, but absolutely, the, the hard work is, is always hard work regardless. Uh, 
what what I found though great was, you know, when you met Joel Salatin, he's written about 15 books on how to do this sort of thing, and I read them all. And then I went out and Joel Salatin has a two-day intensive seminar out there. So I went out and did his two-day intensive seminar. And you don't become an expert farmer in two days by any means, but at least if you've got some background in it, you can you can latch on to some things. So uh, he uh, he was certainly inspirational and is a great has been a tremendous mentor for us. So modeling a lot of the things that he's perfected over the last 60 years really enabled us to probably jumpstart without uh, having nearly as many failures, perhaps, as he's experienced along the way. But, you know, that's the way he wants it. He wants uh, guys like me and, and all across the country to be able to benefit from his experience. So I, I feel very fortunate to have had guys like him. And, and we've got other small farmers here in the area who were very, very open to sharing their knowledge, uh, their you know, there's camaraderie and, and teamsmanship, if you will, among this this group of farmers. When we've gone to the farmers market, you know, over our first five years of doing that, there weren't competitors there. There were folks there who were ready to help you unload your, you know, your car to goodness and, uh, and and sell eggs. If they're selling eggs, no nobody really worried about who's selling what um, by any means. So, so I guess there's there's teamsmanship that helps you uh, over that learning curve uh, to get jump started and. And, and it frankly went went pretty well for us. We lost a few animals, of course, along the way. Joel prepares you for that. Mm. Um, but uh, by and large, I think it's it's gone about as well as it could have for us. And sorry, and it just that's that's the the interesting part. It's um, having to have the uh, the fortitude to actually uh, deal with unexpected losses like that. Because again, you're a farmer; your margins aren't that big. When you when you actually get down to it, so it's absolutely, and and and, and on top of that, um, being that you actually produce things organically and you sell direct to the consumer, mm-hmm. um, uh, how much of um, your experience having to deal with these large scale manufacturers and food distributors? Uh, do you know how much they actually get in terms of? Uh, uh, tax subsidies and special privileges if they are one of these larger groups? Well, it's a, it's a great question, Javier. I can't probably give you a really educated answer on that. I know that the farm bill is set up such that, you know, certain, certain crops are promoted uh, over others, probably with good intentions decades ago when that stuff was set up without any comprehension of what that could lead to in terms of vast fields of genetically modified uh, soybeans and corn sprayed with herbicides, et cetera. So I know there, there's obviously millions, if not billions of dollars at play in all of that that helps facilitate that sort of thing. Uh, I can't certainly quote you on any of the exact figures, but but I know it, you know, and then not that it's all bad thinking either. Um, you know, farming is hard work. So along the way, us humans have a tendency to work towards efficiencies and simplicity and and when the kids, you know, uh, you know, old farmers who've had eight kids and none of the kids want to farm and he's left all by himself, shoot, he's got a lot of work to do as, you know, one one farmer. So he's looking for efficiency. So mm-hmm. when an industry comes in and offers you an opportunity to, geez, just put down this chemical fertilizer and save yourself all this time and effort. And, and, yeah. and you know, it's a complicated web that got us to where we are. Uh, but I don't think any of the, the good intentions, perhaps, thought through or predicted any of the second and third order effects that we're all facing today. But the little guy, when you're starting out, uh, certainly like 
you know, we are or others. Fortunately, as a retired military guy, you know, I'll be quite upfront. I've got, you know, a retirement, which helps me pay the light bill. So I'm not, uh, so that just helps me appreciate even more the, the guys who are trying to do this without anything whatsoever, starting from scratch, uh, making a living uh, is, is a tough business, uh, no matter if you're an industrial farmer or a regenerative or a sustainable farmer. Uh, but but some great folks are, are working hard to do it. And uh, the sustainable guy, yeah, definitely doesn't have a, or hasn't historically had a whole lot of support. I've seen a lot more programs coming out these days to uh, to help promote uh, small, new, young farmers, uh, whether they're sustainable, regenerative. Uh, so I think there's opportunity. Doesn't necessarily level the playing field, but uh, there's at least some folks taking notice of it. I'm sitting here jotting notes to myself. It's that time of day, like if I have a, a, a thought mm -hmm. and I don't immediately express it, it's gone. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you made me think of is that what we have all done so many times Javier's probably sick of my expression here, but we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. Whenever we try to improve systems and make things more convenient, there's often, um, we either don't think ahead to what we might lose by doing something mm -hmm. in this easier way, or we just didn't even think to ask the question, what Absolutely. will we be losing? And there's a lot of things like um, cursive handwriting. We used to always teach children cursive mm -hmm. handwriting. Well, uh, years ago, a woman did a study and it, it took her, I think it was almost a decade of research, but she found out that all of these important things about brain development hmm. that you learn when your hand does the, cur the cursive, but not hmm. with the block print. I mean, it's like it lights up different parts hmm. of your brain to even do those motions. And there's just so many things that we end up. And of course, you know, the ease of killing bugs and the ease of having things grow real fast with these chemicals and artificial things. But, you know, what did we lose? Well, we're really learning now, right? But right. unfortunately, it is now a big business, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's the way with, you know, how long when something is standard of care in medicine, it can be 20 years past the date they realized mm -hmm. that's not the way you should do it, but because it's built in and everybody's doing it and the money's flowing in that direction, it's mm -hmm. really hard to overturn it, but Absolutely. we can do it. I believe we can do it. And it, it takes education and people willing to be a little bit inconvenienced, I guess. Um, Absolutely. Bernadette, if I could, if I could comment a little bit more on the point that you really hit home at, and I think part of the, uh, the reason us humans perhaps have gone down a lot of the paths we're on is we've only got five senses, uh, you know, and we see the world through those five senses. So I've had the, the privilege as I've gone through this journey about three years ago, I started a, a program with Dr. Elaine Ingham, and I've become one of her soil consultants uh, and a lab tech, and I've done Korean natural farming, and I've done a lot of things. And what I've come to understand now, this whole journey's gone full circle. I've been searching for nutrient-dense food. Elaine and others have taught me, well, nutrient-dense food starts with the microbes that, mm. that you already brought up, now, Bernadette. So I have a microscope here. So uh, part of my my training now is to appreciate that ultimately the foundation where nutrient dense food comes from is microbes in the soil. Uh, mm. Us humans don't even know the recipe for nutrient dense food. Nabisco certainly does not. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you want a nutrient dense carrot, uh, Miracle Grow doesn't have the answers. It starts with millions of fungi, bacteria, protozoa, nematodes 
they know the recipe. Uh, you know, mm. that was ingrained in them somehow through Mother Nature, God, whatever. They make the nutrient-dense carrot. But us humans can't see those little guys. So it's very easy for us as we march along to increase the efficiency of farming, et cetera. We throw some some of the latest miracle grow on there. Oh, wow, that carrot looks great. It's so big and green and wonderful. But if we were wise enough and had the senses to truly analyze the nutrient content of that carrot, we would find out, oh, it looks sexy, but it is uh, <laughs> woefully deficient in nutritional value. Yeah. Um, but again, since we're limited to those five senses, it's very easy for us to forget, to not even notice that we're killing yeah. off trillions of hired hands that you know, God, Mother Nature put there to help us with every harvest. We've killed them off flat out, period, not even known the, that we've done so. But armed with a microscope, I see them all the time. And, and back to your original great point, Bernadette, I create this biology now through a variety of methods, uh, Korean natural farming, composting, et cetera. And I've got my hands, you know, elbow deep in trillions of little critters. And not one of them has jumped out and tried to kill me. <laughs> I have to run for my, you know my uh, yeah. Purell or any such thing. I'm happy to have them all over my hands. Once in a while, I'll wash my hands, but I know they're going to, you know, they're benefiting me because yeah. truly I should have 10 times as many of those little critters in and on me than I have human cells in my body. So exactly. the more I can get those guys on me. So anyway, you know, the, the path I've been fortunate to have the, the privilege to walk on has put me, I've collected my own data, if you will. I haven't had mm -hmm. to listen to somebody's study on Oh, we think microbes won't hurt you. Well, no kidding. My hands have you know, <laughs> dived into those microbes and they certainly haven't hurt me. And they're, they're out here to help not only my pasture to make nutrient dense uh, grass, but to make nutrient dense hamburger as well. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You make me think of a, of a story or, or a little scientific experiment. One of those shows my son used to watch, but they they took, um, I don't remember, a piece of food or something, and they put it in two places. One was like a filthy back street, you know, mm -hmm. right on the ground, you know, just microbes everywhere. You have all sorts, mm -hmm. right? And then they also did put the same thing on like a sterile Petri dish in a sterile mm -hmm. lab and to see which one would grow the most microbes. Well, the one in mm -hmm. the sterile lab grew the most microbes because there was no competition. Right. There was, you know, I mean we're meant to be in harmony and in balance. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, ivermectin is a byproduct of a fermented soil bacteria, mm -hmm. you know, and no wonder it's saving uh, so many people. And, oh, I just, this is, I'm so excited to know you, Kevin. I'm just so tickled that you are here in Tennessee and, and all that you're doing. And I got to let people know that you're going to be at, uh, next Saturday, the 15th at our big CHD Tennessee launch party. You're one of our VIPs and it's just, and it's just such a pleasure to yes, get to know to you. Be there. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Um, one of the things you said is, is like all of the nutrients, you can take this carrot with, you know, artificial fertilizers and basically grown in dead soil. And it looks like a mm -hmm. carrot mm -hmm. and the FDA says it's a carrot. Mm -hmm. Because they measure like five values, the vitamin A, they might measure some things, they don't measure everything. Right. And so that's how they test it. If you if you make some sort of mm -hmm. frankenfish, and mm -hmm. you choose five nutrients to compare it to a wild mm -hmm. fish, and yep. say, Oh, they're basically the same. What? <laughs> <You can't>. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, but that's what they do. 
And oh, absolutely. And as I understand it, the way we named the vitamins was in the order that we discovered them. So A through maybe we're up to K now. I'm not sure, but I assume there's probably a thousand more we haven't even figured out yet that we don't even know how to measure. And we yeah. haven't named them just because we haven't named them doesn't mean they don't exist. Um, so I, I just <laughs> I'm, I'm humbled every day by nature and, re, and, and understanding that there's so much we don't know that I will never claim to truly know what yeah. a nutrient dense carrot, what vitamins it should have, because I I don't know. Right. I just know if the microbes are there, <laughs> that carrot will be nutrient dense and it will taste great and it will be great on my salad. Yeah. Uh, so two more questions that I have here. Javier, did I interrupt you? I saw your mouth open. Did I cut you off? Okay, good. <laughs> mm. um, one was you mentioned the spirit of competition. There was no competition when you go to the farmer's market and such. It's a spirit of camaraderie of everybody excited to help everybody else who's mm. moving in this direction. Is that sort of unique to Tennessee? I've seen that around here. My husband and I are just beginning to dabble in gardening, but we've, we've met some great people that are turned out to be friends. They're doing gardens, regenerative farms and such. Mm. And my goodness, I mean, you call them, they'll answer any question. They'll come help you out. Mm -hmm. They'll do soil testing, whatever you need. Is this unique to Tennessee, you think? Or do you think it's this movement of getting back to the soil that is part of it? I, I think it's a combination of both. Probably, Bernadette, uh, one of the reasons we probably ended up in Tennessee, uh, we, we had, you know, military-wise had lived a good portion of the country. We traveled around a lot. But uh, what struck us about Tennessee was the friendly nature of the people. And that's one of the reasons that we, you know, one of the factors that made us decide to come here, just some wonderful people that we met while we were even looking for a, a small farm to purchase. Uh, so I think that's a factor. Uh, but I think, you know, also that small farm mentality, uh, you know, you both of you, I think already pointed out that are you the oddball in farming? And yes, I am the oddball. So if we bring several oddballs together, we just kind of naturally uh, build that camaraderie, if you will, uh, that we're trying to, you know, actually grow something without Roundup. And, mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, we all believe that it's important to grow something without Roundup. So I think it just kind of naturally uh, builds, if you will. Yeah, that that's fantastic. And so um, the final notes that I have so far are that I what I would love to do. So I'm putting it out there to the universe. OK, mm -hmm. I want to elevate the status of the farmer up where it should be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody says, oh, I want my kid to grow up to be, you know, a, a lawyer or a doctor because mm -hmm. this is based on salary. They're important positions. Sure. But what? without food, we die. Without mm -hmm. healthy food, we die a little more slowly. Right. So <laughs> right. um, why isn't this, you know... I think of, of culture, literature, everything. There tends to be people mock the farmer. Oh, he's just off the farm and they make fun of farmers and, you know, mm -hmm. and the way they dress and all that. But really we need to, we need to change the whole attitude mm -hmm. and elevate it to this place of absolute respect. And the other thing that I need to, I want to return to a place of elevation is parenthood and, you know, both fatherhood and motherhood, as far as those roles go. Oh, I'm just a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. Why do we say just? 
Mm. Right. It's the most important thing you can do. Be a stay at home mom or stay at home dad. Right. Somebody in that family unit being there to raise the child. It's like somehow we decided that having a career is more important for any individual than rearing the children. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying everybody's meant to be a stay at home parent. Right. I mean, I'm I'm all Mm -hmm. for flexibility, following your passion and all that. But but making that choice because it's what you need to to do it should be elevated it should be absolutely honored and and so i mean shouldn't we be able to go to the university of tennessee mm-hmm. and get that i'm going to enroll in the farming program the regenerative farming program you know and mm-hmm. earn your phd and although that might be sure. too expensive to do because mm-hmm. then you still got to still go buy the farm or something but but it should be up there as one of the great careers mm-hmm. to choose um, and encourage people to move in that direction and have that whole systemic uh, support. So I'm just putting that out there. We're going to elevate the farmer. Absolutely. Good. That's, that's a great, uh, great thought. And uh, I hope we can succeed at that. I, Joel Salatin would love to talk to you about that too. He, uh, he has a great <laughs> uh, discussion about that where guidance counselors do not look to the A students and say, you ought to go be a farmer. Um, right. Doesn't happen in Again, today's world. And again, there's a strong tradition in this country of uh, some of our best political thought leaders coming straight from the farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, there's there's that because, again, you have to manage multiple paths, multiple levels of uh, data integration. And most of the thing that is most of the thinking that I'm seeing at the political level, both the state and federal is very linear, single dimension and doesn't take into account the complexities of what actually happens, which is a disaster both nationally and internationally. Wow. Javier, excellent points. When you think about, right, all the management a farmer has to do, incompetent farmers mm-hmm. don't stay in business long. You mm-hmm. know, uh, they lose no. their crops, they lose their animals, you know, their family probably abandons them too. So, I mean, you've got a lot to manage. You have mm-hmm. to know science. You have to know nature. Um you have to know, I mean, the amount of information and, and I look at you, Kevin, and you are so intelligent, so well read, oh, you thank know, you for right. And, but, you know, and some of our best legislators here in Tennessee, they're farmers, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we know who we're talking about. Some of them, they're, mm-hmm. they're pretty, they're, and they farm even as they're legislators. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you imagine if Congress was more filled with farmers who really understand the complexities of life and how to study something at that level um, rather than being such linear uh, thinkers. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm liking this. Maybe, maybe they all at least need to go spend, like have a mandatory five years time spent on a real farm, (laughs) a real, like Kevin's farm, really learning. Um, and they might emerge with a little bit more ability to make wise Mm -hmm. decisions on our behalf. Hey, (laughs) I think you two are making great points. If you, uh, if folks can set aside their, you know, hubris long enough to come down and, and realize there's so much they don't know and and take a look at nature and the complex interactions yeah. of every critter out here, whether it's a coyote or a rabbit or a hawk or an owl or a whatever, they're all playing a critical role in our life support system. Yes. A period. You can't oversimplify that. You can't over you can't have so many housing developments that you have destroyed the ecosystem that creates our oxygen, our food, our water, our everything. And and you know, we're rushing 
headlong into that without yeah. a second thought. Yeah. And, you know, that brings up something that is very concerning to me. And uh, Meryl Nass was writing about it today. Uh, Dr. Meryl Nass, she's so brilliant. I love to read her um, insights on things. But, you know, what's going on at the global level right now, the powers that be in order to push us all in a certain direction, they've co-opted the whole idea of biodiversity and interaction of human and animals. Now, what you're saying is we need to respect the soil, the biodiversity, be humble enough to know that we cannot ever create what nature or God, like you said, however this evolves, we need to respect it, live in harmony with it. Um, And therein is health. We do not fear microbes. But what's happening at the global level is they're trying to build this global infrastructure with the World Health Organization at the top to make all these rules and restrictions and controls um, saying that, you know, humans are encroaching too much here and it's causing disease and we're going to need more Mm -hmm. surveillance and lockdowns and drugs and vaccines to combat it. This war mentality Mm -hmm. is serving their purpose and all the big ag, all the big companies are thriving on this. Mm -hmm. And so it gets really complex because they're using a lot of the same language that we would identify with that. Yes, we are polluted the planet. Yes. Mm -hmm. We've done um, we've, we've paved over too much of this planet in in certain places and everything. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to figure out how we take environmentalism back to where it belongs away from the bigs and bring Mm -hmm. it back where it it belongs on small farms and how we um, even garden in our own yards and that. Absolutely. Yeah, I I wish I had the answer as to how that happens. Uh, Another round of training I did over this winter was permaculture design uh, through a fellow by the name of Jeff Lawton down in Australia and and phenomenal round of training. And, uh, you know, there there are people working this and and, uh, Bernadette Javier, hopefully, you know, a lot of people, uh, hopefully a lot more than I do. uh, Folks (laughs) are now understanding this and starting to work in that direction permaculture design movement is one such approach. And, and I think it's catching on a little bit more around the world where, uh, you know, a suburb is a suburb. You're not going to eliminate it and turn it back into a forest, but perhaps we can put a food forest in that area and enable nature to come back in that direction. And perhaps at the same time, uh, you know, enable a, a local food source right there in that area. Now, you know, is that a, a dream that's too far or is that something we can actually work towards? But I, I you know, I have hope and that perhaps things like that can can help you know that's one small example of a, a possible way to kind of rein things back if you will but i think the grassroots effort is probably the only way that's going to happen back to your yes. point Bernadette, to have a top-down driven oversimplified we're the experts here's how you do it um, yeah sorry <laughs> it probably won't work yeah when you look at the mass programs that were rolled out for covid the trillions of dollars spent, the logistics that they had to do. Surely we can get some food for us in suburbs. I mean, it's nothing compared to what they did and, and what they spent to do it. Right. And I, I believe in, in the human spirit and ingenuity, and I believe we can do this and it is going to have to be a grassroots level. Um, Now I've heard the term permaculture a lot, but could you give us the definition of what that means? Uh, This may not be the textbook, but what I carry away from it is essentially 
uh, trying to create permanent agriculture and, and in a manner that it, it operates in harmony with nature. Love it. That's the way I would look at it. And I don't know what that means to you, but it's essentially before you go in and, you know, tear out all the wood line and plow a plow the field and plant nothing but corn and spray it with Roundup, you stop for a second, you look around at nature and say, oh, well, here's where the water flows. Here's where the water needs to flow because of this terrain. Oh, that wood line is important. Let's keep that because that helps the pollinators. That helps the deer. That helps at least, you know, having a respect enough for nature to look around and see that everything has its place. And as much as possible, we want to operate our farm within that uh, rule set if I you will. That. Now, I may have to yeah. cut down a few trees here and there, but if I if I live in conjunction with nature, I'll know that maybe I'll cut down those two trees, but that's where I plant my pecan trees or my oak trees or my whatever trees. I may tailor the environment a little bit to provide me with a, you know, whatever food, apples or oranges, whatever I can grow and want to grow, but I need to do it in a manner where I'm not sterilizing the area and coming mm -hmm. in and planting my orchard and spraying everything else to kill it. And I don't know, I hope I'm making sense in that. And, uh, but oh, uh, the concept. Yeah, no, absolutely. That absolutely makes sense. Um, I love that. And you keep using the word harmony, which is making me so very happy. <laughs> it, it definitely all needs to be in harmony. So, um, so here you are, you, you and your, you know, you had this great career and you didn't know what was next. And you saw this documentary film and you and your wife did the work, you did your research and you took that big leap. And I think for a lot of people right now with the world changing, they see where it's going, they mm -hmm. see where they are and they see where they want to be. So do you have any words of encouragement for people you know, because it can be scary to leave what's familiar and what you know and venture off to do something, you know, that you've never done before. Can you give any words of insight there? It can certainly be scary. And, uh, you know, one of my greatest assets was my wife having her on this team. Uh, so, you know, having a good partner in it is certainly a help too. Um, but I think, I think it's important if you, you know, if you have any inclination to this sort of thing, to, to, to research it enough and understand it enough to know the importance of it. Uh, I think if you understand the why this is important, and yes, you probably won't win any medals for it. You'll probably be an unsung hero. Uh, but whatever it is you want to do, if you find the, the value in it, uh, I think is in, it provides that inspiration to see it through, mm -hmm. if you will. And this, we took our lumps for sure doing this, and we do every day. You know, when I'm out there and whatever the water pipe froze going to the cattle, and mm -hmm. I got to play with that for three hours on a, you know, cold day, uh, it can be frustrating. But I can tell myself, well, at least I don't live in North Dakota where it's going to be frozen for six months. I'm in yeah. Tennessee and it'll only be frozen for, you know, whatever, a few hours. But yeah, that's true. Uh, but I don't know if I really hit your question, but I, I think it's important to, uh, what was it? Teddy Roosevelt. I'm, I'm a guy who loves, uh, I'm inspired by quotes. And one of the, one of the things he said along the way, work hard at work worth doing. Um, and to me, that is, that is important. And there, there's reward itself in that. Mm -hmm. If you can find that kind of thing that helps you get up every day because you're inspired that you're doing something worth doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, uh, Bernadette, you hit upon this earlier. If there are folks out there today that don't really feel like they're doing what worth doing, then 
yeah, I, I can, I can feel for that. And, and yeah. that makes it tough to get up every morning. It, it really does. But, you know, I, I think it's worth that journey and, you know, mm -hmm. finding people in your life that will support your wanting to go in this new direction. You know, yeah. a lot of people have lost friends and family because they're seeing and hearing different things and interpreting it differently. And it's just sort of split them. And there's a lot of people that feel very alone. I encourage people to find, you know, I mean, always keep those doors open mm -hmm. to the people from your your past or you know you know always have grace in your heart that you'll come back together but do find new people find your tribe as mm -hmm. it were you know i i've met people who are like were on islands where they felt so alone and then they came across mm -hmm. like a, a children's health defense chapter or informed choice yes. in washington and they're like oh, i'm not alone and and that mm -hmm. can be so important and then you know find people in your life that want to go in that direction and it you know I know we all have to make a living and pay the bills and, and do all of that, but we also have to feel in our heart and soul that we're, we've only got one life on this earth as we know it. Right. You know, absolutely. that, that you're, you're living the life you're meant to live and doing the things that, that make a difference and that follow your values. So, um, you know, find those people to help you on that journey. And, mm -hmm. and that, that will be a help. I've been really lucky in my life in that I've got a husband who's aligned with me. And it's so funny because I see how we do it on time. Um, he's always been supportive of me back when I was a writer, then I became an advocate, but he wasn't really involved. And I tell this story of one day he came out to the kitchen. We we're still living out in Washington he starts telling me about the CDC. He says, do you know the CDC does this? And he's going on and on. I'm like, what in the world have you been doing? And he was binge watching Dell Big Tree on the high wire. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it was just, and and then from that moment on, things kind of switched a little bit because he was getting all the things that I was going off and doing and, you know, mm -hmm. being active about. He was, he was beginning to really understand the foundation of, you know, and sometimes it just takes that right person. Absolutely. You know, and Del Bigtree's personality and the, the way he delivered thing was just what my husband needed to hear. It was so awesome. Um, you know, so I think that can be really helpful. And then when we moved here and he started to get really involved and, you know, we're so in alignment. It's just it's really wonderful. I know not everybody's in that space, but try to mm -hmm. find somebody in your life that you can just be that kindred spirit with and, and encourage each other in that direction. That's enough of a pep talk from Bernadette. Yeah. Well, that, that was very well said, Bernadette, because we we felt exactly the same thing. When I'm retiring from the Air Force, you know, retired Air Force colonel, leaving the Air Force, I'm really an oddball saying that I want to go farm. Uh, I don't think any of my peers would ever necessarily do such a thing. My family thought we were kind of crazy. We had a lot of people think we were crazy, but to your exact point, we didn't burn any bridges. We just said, well, good. Thank you very much. Here's what we want to do. Mm -hmm. But I think that feeds right back to our discussion about your fellow small farmers at the farmer's market. Uh, we yeah. became that bit of inspirational friendship, if you will, between them. And, and I want to, you know, I'll pat uh, children's health defense on the back as well, because as you pointed out, Del Bigtree, I would point out Del Bigtree. I would point out uh, Bobby Kennedy. I would point out Joel Salatin, all of these different people that we have got to learn from in our quest for data uh, versus opinion over the past uh, many years uh, we've been inspired by all of those people and what they're trying to do and and come to believe uh, you know we've come to have our opinions on the importance of what all those people are doing and we just we feel like we're just a small 
small cog in the in the machine, but we want to do our best to support that bigger effort. And uh, and I think that has been very inspirational, uh, very similar to what you just described. Oh, uh, thank you. And so much in agreement. But, you know, I realized that throughout this show, I forgot to tell people to go to LibertyTraceFarm.com. <laughs> Forgive me for not repeating no, uh, no the name of your there. place. Um, and we've only got uh, two minutes, um, probably one minute, because I just noticed that. So mm -hmm. at Liberty Trace Farm, they can not only sign up to maybe purchase some of this wonderful uh, food that you are growing. I think you got a bit of a wait list. But you, you do soil consulting. You will help teach people to do what you're doing, correct? Yes, certainly. As much as one person can do, I've already got a lot on my plate. Uh, with uh, I'm working with a local winery and a, and a vineyard out in North Carolina and, and uh, trying to help local farmers as well. Uh, when it comes to, to products, yes, we're, we're happy to sell to customers. Uh, we were fortunate enough over the past few years to build a waiting list of return customers. So pretty much we're sold out of beef before we even have it every year just uh, with return customers so we're very fortunate in that regard uh, so i don't want to over promise to any any listeners out there who might think they could get in uh, happy to hear from them yeah uh, but i might just have to be honest up front and say sorry we've got a, a full house which is typically uh, the situation for us all righty well kevin kraus of libertytracefarm.com thank you so much for being with us and hey we need more farmers you heard that He's, he has more customers than he has products, so we need more farmers. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio at 1150 AM KKNW. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got Andrew McGarry. We've got another inspirational career to talk to you all about. Stay tuned. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one-world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to Informed Choice Wa dot org today we need a revolution there's only one solution 
Hello and welcome back to uh, An Informed Live Radio at 1150 AM KKNW CHD TV. We are so happy to be here. Today's uh, theme show is It's More Than a Job, Dare to Live Your Beliefs. And you know, in the first hour, we had the wonderful Kevin Krause of Liberty Trace Farm, uh, libertytracefarm.com. Such an inspiration that he is working hard to kind of to study what to do, to just put his whole life into what he believes. And I hope he inspired everyone as much as he inspired me. Uh, Dr. Javier Figueroa here with me, my co-host. I feel a little tongue tied. I was really just He's just everything I want farmers to be. Don't you want every farmer to be a Kevin Krauss? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, just he he's so intelligent and kind and understanding the microbes of the just I again, I'm just like not pulling the language right here. So if you if you missed the first hour, go back and, and watch it. We're just what a great guy. This we really did. I think I mentioned that um I, I feel like we need to elevate the role of farmer, you know, in this nation. It needs to be up there on a pedestal, people who do it right. And um, yeah, anyway, okay, we're going to move on to our next guest because uh, our, our next guest also in my book is also chosen a career in order to live his beliefs and share his beliefs. So I'm going to bring on Andrew McGarry. Andrew McGarry is a the executive producer of a documentary film called, film called Standing in the Gap and, um, and several other documentary films that he has since put out. Hello, Andrew. Welcome to An Informed Life Radio. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for, for joining us kind of at the last minute. I very much appreciate it. Um, we ha- we had a mutual friend that I reached out to and said, hey, do you happen to know any videographers? And the next thing you know, my phone is ringing and it's you. Um, and you're here in this great state of Tennessee. And and my goodness, our conversation just off like a rocket. Kindred spirits, you know, we, we, we see where the world's headed. And and like you, me and Javier, you, me and Javier, you, Andrew, are not just complaining. You're doing something about it, right? Sure. And so in the first hour, we have a farmer who's really getting down to the microbe level of what health is all about, growing, you know, sustainable farm. You are part of the really important network of information, of getting inf- accurate information out there in an entertaining way to the public, because um, I feel like right now we're in an information war that people are uh, being led to take steps and have behaviors that in essence hand over their liberties, our great nation to other powerful entities. And it's all being done with words right? We're in a war of words. And they've captured the, I say they, the global entities are sort of doing all this nonsense. Um, they've, led by a lot of corporate America, they have um, captured the platforms of distribution, YouTube, you know, um, 
legacy media, that sort of thing. But it's taken us some years, but we're beginning to create our own platforms and then produce um, our own information, have our own new shows. And then here you as a documentary filmmaker, you know, you add the wonderful um, information that can be hosted on those platforms. I'm, I'm sort of rambling a bit here, Andrew, but um, that was my reasoning for bringing you on the show because um, as I explained in the first hour, so many people right now, they feel like they're a little bit in limbo. The life they thought they were going to have, they see is being taken from them. The life they're currently leading, they feel out of it, it does, it's not no longer aligned with their values. They want to do something meaningful with their lives, but it's scary to change. So you are one of the people that I find very inspiring. How about we start wherever you feel comfortable starting, going back to who is Andrew and how did you get into being a videographer? <clears throat> well, just to set that record straight, that's just one thing that I do. Okay. Um, so I am a Michigan native. Um, I just turned 51 um, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I have six kids. We live in Franklin, Tennessee. My oldest is 19. My youngest is four. I have five daughters. My son's smack in the middle of all of them. He'll be 15 this summer. Um, <clears throat> what you don't know, what we didn't talk about on the phone, is that for the first seven years that I was in Tennessee, uh, up until 2000, almost 19, I was um, developing a platform called my pro and my pro was a social media, uh, content distribution. Um, it had uh, a blend of Netflix meets, you know, Twitter and Instagram, um, YouTube, and it gave capabilities to the content creator, uh, to where they could actually, um, form their own silo within the platform where they could, you know, customize it to themselves. And, a lot of things happened. I met some of the biggest people in the world. I traveled all over the country for about four years. Um, that's where I got my feet wet with videography because we recorded almost 400 hours of content. And it was the first iteration of what people now think of as masterclass. Um, so I met with the, the I'm not going to, I'm not going to name names in this, this particular show, but I would, this could be something that's off camera. Um, and off mic, but there are many people that we all know um, in the world of, of music and entertainment. And so I was meeting with them. I was meeting with their attorneys, their labels, their uh, management, their agents, and um, realized quickly that the world we lived in even then, 12, 2012 to you know 19, was a cutthroat. Thank you very much for your brain. Um, we'll take it from here. You don't have enough money to fight us type mm -hmm. of an entity where um, the things that I came up with, they're still revolutionary today. Nobody's still to this day. Now, mind you, I had to bury it because I couldn't keep going. I generated a couple million dollars in seed capital when I first started the company. Um, we used the lion's share of that money to build code because we built the platform from nothing. And so we got it to the point where it was literally on the tipping point of being the next thing. Um, and if you saw what I'm talking about, I can send you some documentation, some videos, different news channels and, and different outlets that I did interviews on all over the country. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, and you'll go, well, wait a second. Why didn't it work? But by the grace of God, it didn't work. And what I mean by that is 
the people who saw it for what it really could be were not the people I wanted to be in bed with in business. Um, the people that I wanted to truly edify and bless and help get to another level were the ones that didn't have the bandwidth or the understanding to how to use the platform the right mm-hmm. way because they didn't have people in their, in their midst that could actually help them. Mm-hmm. But these, the big ones, I'm talking the A-list people, they have all these teams around them that they could have turned this platform into everything they've wanted social media to be. And many people would say to me, you know, like, well, we have all these people, we're throwing all this content out there, uh, but we're not making money from it. Why is that? And I'd say, because you're giving it all away. You don't understand simple math and you don't understand the the law of supply and demand. Mm-hmm. If you're going to let everybody into your bag. Uh-oh. Our Andrew has frozen a bit. So hopefully, uh, Javier, let's keep talking there. Andrew, if um, if you're hearing us, you are frozen on our side. Uh, maybe you mm-hmm. can try logging out and logging back in. Uh, Nathan, uh, behind the scenes, maybe he'll give him a, a bit of a help yeah. there. Okay. Um, oh, oh, there he goes. There we are. Oh, if you're not able to, um, you know, close off that that spigot, then you'll never understand how how the law of reciprocity works. Because if you're going to sow something into something, then there should be a you know an, an added benefit to both parties at the end. Yeah. And what the, what social media has done is it's only made the companies that are worth billions worth more billions. It really hasn't built other than idol idol worshiping and people who are coming to watch people. It hasn't put value into those types of things. Now there have been things that have been derivatives of what I built, um, the fans only, which turns into a big nasty cesspool of you know what um, <laughs> and other things that have happened but yeah. mine was always going to be a a christ-centered um biblically based great content where you could actually go to a place you could see things that that you didn't have a problem with if your kids got onto the platform you knew that the people that were pushing content you were okay with mm-hmm. the people that were showing somebody how to hand the baton off to the next generation of dreamers, of creators, of builders, of whatever they were, those people were going to be there. And that would be the the question I would get from investors is when I would do these, you know, investor presentations, they, you know, you'd always have the guy in the back who's sitting there with his arms crossed and he would say, well, you know, well, what if I wanted to hit a, you know, hit a forehand like Roger Federer, you know, um, you know, can I just go to YouTube and get that? And I said, well, no, because you wouldn't be learning from Roger Federer. You'd be learning from somebody else. And that was the whole impetus behind my pro was that they, you were taking ownership of this, this high level person who's done it at the highest level. And they're the ones to how to be. So <clears throat> that was just the first part of it. Then as, as social media grew, um, we also had to create a social entity within that platform. Otherwise it was a come to only get that. And then, but we needed a sticking power, right? We needed people to come and stay. So that was going to be the draw. All that being said, now that I know what I know, now that I see the world for uh, what it is, um, there is no possible way. I've questioned, you know, I've questioned God up until years ago. I thought, why, why would you take me down this road simply to let me fall on my face? And it, it, there was never a falling of my face. I learned so much in those seven years. Um, and it was seven years. It was like, a, you know, just God's biblical completion. I was able to see things that I never would see now. It'll, it gave me the audacity to create the documentaries that I did, um, you know, because I didn't, I didn't, 
nobody was off limits to me, right? I mean, when you've sat with the biggest people in the world, when you're trying to get a hold of a Peter McCall or anybody else, they're just like, oh, well, I'll just, I, I know I have a Rolodex of people that I know that know people. And eventually I'm going to get that guy on the phone and I'm going to be in front of him somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's how I did it. And so as I, as I began to, you know, I, first of all, let's go to what I told you the other day. I believe COVID was real uh, for one week. Um, and it was, it started on my birthday. The lockdown started on my birthday, uh, December, or I'm sorry, March 15th of 2020. So by the third week in March, I was doing a job and now I'm a contractor, just throwing that out there. Now I'm a contractor and builder. And so I, I just switched completely switched professions so that I could provide. Cause I was, we were basically broke cause I put everything that I had into the company and we had, you know, five kids at the time. Um, and it was, it was horrible. It was, it was brutal on me. It was brutal on my wife. It was brutal on the kids. Uh, there's constant stress. And I looked at my wife one day and I said, I have to, I've got to go work with my hands. And so I've, I've done it my whole life. I, and so I just broke away, started doing it and never looked back. And so what this life has given me is the ability to dream and create and continue to do what God has called me to do. And that is um, the things that like you're talking about, you know, what, what are we doing in our lives? It's, it's really no different than when you look at scripture and you, you think about what Paul was doing. Um, he was building tents, but he was also traveling and preaching the gospel and sharing the good news and love and, um, and, and exhortation and correction and rebuke when he, when he needed to. And so um, that's what I'm doing now as I'm, I'm going through this process of I'm, my eyes aren't um, my eyes are wide open. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on. It's, it's, you know, and, and I've, I've many videos um, on my rumble channel and I go through many of them in r- really detailed um, dissertation so that people understand COVID was always the plan. Um, depopulation <clears throat> and getting this world back to a manageable number for satanic uh, regimes. And it's not just one regime. That's what people don't understand is people, people can't fathom that what we've witnessed in the last three years, it's good against evil or it's Trump against, you know, the deep state. It's not, that's not what's happening right now. We are, we're witnessing two, uh, the same coin with two bad sides. There is not a good side and a bad side. It is two bad sides. And we, the people, God fearing people in this country, the lion's share of them, I was listening to your, your opening most people don't get it, Bernadette, because they're either they're either blinded by their dissonance or they're literally blinded and veiled by God himself. Because people and their abased minds are what is keeping people from actually seeing the truth. I, and I know this for a fact because I've been giving people truth now for three years. And I have people that know me and love me and know exactly who I am, not only in Christ, but as a friend, as a brother, as a, you know, and yet they're still dug into their position on what they think is going on in this world. And they have no clue what's really going on. They can't see it for what it is because it's either a, it's cognitive dissonance, it's fear or a combination of both, mm-hmm. or they don't know where to turn to face what is next. Like you said, mm-hmm. change is a, you know, what yeah. fear is a, you know, what, mm-hmm. and so in order to get people to understand that we as Americans First of all, we should be governed by God's law and common law first, not by not even by, you know, the government and not even by the Constitution. It should go God's law, man's law, then the Constitution and then the government. Mm-hmm. And it's inverted. And that's well, the issue we have. 
Yeah, what a lot of people don't understand, and I didn't as well until recent uh, times, is that the Constitution doesn't actually grant anybody rights. It just protects the rights that are given to us by God. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and that's even how it's written. But I didn't understand that until recently. And so many don't. We're not teaching the right things in school the right way for people to really understand. And I I feel like this whole nation is has been on this amazing learning journey of what it really means to live in a free society. We've been complacent. We've been throwing it all away, you know, and and it's been kind of hard to realize, holy cow, if if I want to protect the freedoms that are enshrined in the Constitution that were given, you know, by God and that that common law, um, as you said, which is the next step there, that I got to get up. I got to speak out. You know, you do it peacefully um, you, you do some research so you know what you're talking about and, but you have to, you have to begin this path and you're even more inspiring to me than, than I expected you to be because I didn't have your full history. I just brought you on. And what I'm hearing you say is that you, you put I just got some, started by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you, you know, uh, going on the theme of like, you know, trying to inspire others to kind of live their beliefs you put so much of your life into developing developing this platform, and it sounds like you could have sold it for a lot of money and been retired to some island somewhere. I turned down tens of millions of dollars because but, I was not willing to bastardize what God wanted me to build. That's why I didn't do it. But that sort of that sort of moral courage is rare, but it's inspiring to hear that you did that, that you, you know, and then you, you just chose a different path. And, and even the fact that you listen to like, I need to do something with my hands. I mean, I really get that. I spend a lot of time on the computer and a lot of thinking and, you know, there, there is, I don't have a lot of Bible quotes in my head, but one of them is um, the writing of books is endless and excessive devotion to books is wearing to the body. So when we're too much in our heads, we need to get out there and be physical because, you know, that's so important. So I love that you chose, you felt compelled to go work with your hands to get a job in construction so that it would free, you would be bringing the income to support this beautiful family that you have while you also continue down that path of, of following your heart and following where you believe God is leading you. I, I think that's just so inspiring. So um, I think that was all I interrupted you for. I can't remember if there's anything else. I got to take notes. <laughs> okay, so my next, my next um, chunk of content here then would be, uh, <laughs> I've been intermittently filming the next documentary. So I did the first one I did was um, with Robert Young and it was um, unmasked. And that was a seven part, uh, you know, Robert is one of the leading naturopaths in the world. I saw in your intro um, slate there, it said terrain theory. Um, mm. Robert is one of the um, foremost experts in terrain theory. Mm. Uh, he studied under Bechamp and, you know, his works and he went, you know, he went to France. And um, so he's got all that. And he actually gave me, it was really cool. When I went out there to interview him, he gave me a book that Bechamp wrote and he only had a handful of them, but he thought enough of me that he gave me one. So I thought it was pretty cool. Wow. Um, but so the, the, the documentary that I've been filming um, that God keeps putting on hold. And I, every time he does this, it's because there's something more to the story. That's not, he doesn't yes. want it released all the way. Yes. And it's called boy, man, dad. Um, and boy, man, dad is, that is the, 
if you want to talk about why we are in the position we're in right now in this country, it is because men, specifically men of God, did not discern the times. Um, men in general have been chasers of self, chasers of dreams, chasers of this world, their flesh, those types of things. They have not been chasers of God's heart. And the, the, the church in America is also uh, a sham and it is uh, not even close to what the book of Acts looks like. And it's not even close to what God really laid out for the model to look like. And because we've put men in positions of power inside of this thing called Western Christendom, then we have issues with power struggles, with um, things that go on that are extracurricular outside of marriages, um, with children that are being abused. Um, these are all things that happen when you're out of balance with exactly what the ways that God laid out. And because of all of these things, men have become, see what men don't, what, what women don't realize about trying to get their men to go to churches. And I mean, churches, and I'm air quoting, this is uh, buildings that, because that's what people identify churches with. And that's not the ecclesia. The ecclesia is truly the living, breathing, moving, um, ever adapting body of Christ on planet earth. And it changes literally by the day because there are people that are going out, out of the body of Christ as they go on to glory. And then there are new people coming into glory as they become regenerate through the work of the Holy Spirit. So it is a, an ever-changing thing that we have to embrace as that's what it is. It isn't 38,000 denominations. It isn't that, oh, Andy has a different way of doing it, so I'm going to go start my own flavor of Jesus. And because of that, I'm going to make these 10 people pissed off over here because I don't do it their way. And these 10 people over here pissed off because I don't do it their way. They all leave. They all go to their own thing. And eventually we've just subdivided this one faith the true faith that when Jesus Christ was in the garden, he looked at, he looked up to father God and said, <clears throat> my last prayer before I go to this cross to redeem <clears throat> anyone by defeating sin is that there, there's a unity and oneness that we have with each other, that they'll have with each other. Mm -hmm. And that though, that because they'll have that with each other, the world will see that we are the most divided faith on the planet. I, I I love that you bring that moment up because today is Good Friday. Absolutely. As, as we are sitting here with this interview today, that is marvelous. And, you know, I know a lot of people, um, COVID changed a lot for people. A lot of people who are sort of resistant or not caring really about religion or spirituality really deeply have seen um, it's sort of like the danger of complacency, right? And we've we've kind of seen because we're seeing this spiritual war before our eyes and and everywhere we go and trying to make sense of it. And I know um, a lot of people have kind of moved more toward understanding exactly what you're talking about. Um, I think that I myself have a little bit of a, a different language for things, but I absolutely understand and connect with what you're saying. You know, and like my husband and I, we feel like our church is is just is our woods. It's our it's our lives. It's how we're trying to live. It's just being in touch with all that. And I love how you describe because all things are connected into the fact that you you would have to like leave your home, get your car, drive to a physical building, and only there do you go to church, 
right? What about the rest of your life? The rest of the 23 hours? Well, let me, let me clarify that because what we also can't do is we can't, we can't turn this world into our church either. So yeah. I, I'm, this isn't a rebuke, but I'm just being honest with you that um, our, the woods, nature, that's, that's not a part of the church. That's part of God's creation. That's part of his, his glory. That's how we worship. We, we can be in a sense of worship in those areas, but the true ecclesia, the church is the is the 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 embodiment of believers on planet earth it's not a denomination it is not a um um, a specific people group it is it is the people that god has regenerated by the power of his spirit so when we talk about the church there is only one and it truly is the body of christ now there are many other flavors of it and i was talking to my wife when you texted me earlier and said hey are you going to come on and i was like ah we're at dinner um and on the way home, I said, you know, it's funny because these the scripture that is is it's always stuck with me. And it's one of the sermons on the Mount um, parables. And he talks about he says uh, in the end that people will say to me, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And he, these are people that had prophesied and cast out demons and all these things. So these people would be the ones that would say, I knew Jesus. And he's going to say, I never knew you. And mm-hmm. so there are many of those that are leading these flocks of people that that's what we're witnessing today is, is many of many of these men. And that's, let me finish what I was going to say earlier. And that is that the reason why we are in the position we're in is because men, when they go to these buildings on Sundays or Saturdays or whenever, they do not um, fully grasp what's at hand uh, because they spiritually are dead as well. Uh, And because, you know, since the eighties, I mean, I'm 51. So, you know, we wonder what happened in the eighties, like what was going on in the eighties and then nineties? Why was there such a void? But as I grew up and then I, and I, you know, the Lord plucked me out when I'm in my mid twenties. And as I look back now in my life, I had one, one friend, one friend of all the kids that I knew going to school that is, was truly a believer during those times. And that's shocking to me. Um, but that, that was the world that we lived in. We lived in a world where, where men went to work. This is the beginning of the two income family really, but men went to work, moms went to work, kids went to public school. They came home, they played sports, they did what they did and they just moved on with the rest of their lives. And yet there wasn't a true semblance, but this is how we got hollowed out as a, the familial unit, the, the integral nature. And this is where divorce started to go up and up and up and up. Uh, we saw broken families. We saw uh, the de- you know the the the, uh, the degradation of the inner city because I grew up in the Flint, Michigan area. I, I was in the suburbs, but you know I watched Flint literally go from a very thriving um, you know area to a an absolute cesspool within 15 years, and um, and it was all systematically planned. Now, was it democratic control? Absolutely, but everything we're seeing right now isn't a Democrat Republican thing. It's all smoke and mirrors because the first documentary I did in the standing in the gap, um, you know, the two movies that I did, one was election fraud. The other one was COVID. The first one was all about what was going on with election integrity. And I've interviewed the top experts that have traveled all over the country. They've done forensic data on the machines, the code, the EMS uh, management systems, um, the, the ballot boxes, all these things that have gone on and then you realize beyond that, there's all these stuffed, you know, voter rolls, packed voter rolls that have been going on for 30, 40 years. So when you have a, a voting populace 
in America that is 70 to 75 percent conservative or Republican, and yet you can have a vote on you know voting day, whether it be you know a, a presidential election or a gubernatorial or you know midterms, whatever, uh, and you can actually see a a 50-50 split almost down the middle every flipping time. You have to say to yourself, how does this keep happening? How can they forecast that it's going to be this, this, and this? And then it it's almost always that. Um, what is going on that those things happen? Well, it's it happens that way because there's interpretive language that's programmed into these machines that it's literally like AI, where when when a vote goes into the tabulator, it doesn't matter that all of our votes that they came out of the actual machine right to go into the tabulator, but when they go into the tabulator, the tabulator has a different set of, of algorithm that says, no, you're going to interpret it like this. And if it's Andy and Bernadette that are running and we want Bernadette to win 59.7 to 49.3, that's the way it's going to work out. It doesn't matter what the votes are. So when you understand that's going on and then you realize that there's 7,400 officials that are mostly selected, not elected, 38,000 judges. So you got 45,000 people in this country that are literally ruling over 330 million. Then you say to yourself, how does it change? How do we get to a point where we can change it when we can't even get a guy like Trump who knows that the election was rigged in, in 2020? Everyone knew in 2016 the elections were rigged, and we knew in 2018. I have all these videos of the Democrats and the Republicans telling people in Congress that all the machines are rigged. Everyone knows it. Everyone, they don't, But they didn't care enough to change a thing. No. They, they go on. Because it's, it's we're going to let the Democrat win this time, the Republicans are going to win this time, the Democrat. And what can we do because of that? We can fan the flame of, of, of division. We can fan the flame of, of disunity and all these things that go on across the country. We can bring up points that we want. It can be race. It can be, um, uh, you know, green. It can be uh, oil. It can be, you know, stock market. It doesn't matter. They get to then create the narrative they want. They control the airwaves, they control the television, they control social media. All these things happen because people are habitual creatures to going back to the things that they want to hear. Even if it causes them to be pissed off, they still want to go back to the same things every day. They don't want to do anything about it because why? Because they have to change. They have to go and do something that forces them to do something that's more uncomfortable. So they would rather be mad. They'd rather spit at the television. They'd rather get on their phones and text and call and make people say, look at this. Well, what's going on over here? What's going on? Oh, look over here. Well, well, all over here, we're literally ripping the guts out of this country. And people don't see it for what it is because they don't want to see it for what it is. Because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that we've been lied to for at least 60 years. I mean, we it's been it's been a and then. Yeah. For the last 20 years, it's been an absolute horror story. And that's yeah. the majority of that is because they were able to put people in power that they wanted to be there. And and I, I said a few years ago, and thank you so much for all of this. You're making giving me a perspective I hadn't thought of before. I'm a very concrete thinker, you mm -hmm. know, and so some of your ideas and concepts, especially, you know, in regards to like, so religion and all of that, it's going to take some processing for me, but I'm up to the challenge. Um, but I, don't, I also don't quantify it as religion. It's faith. Yeah. It's faith. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes we need to change our language, if, especially if we have a certain mindset about what certain words mean. And if you use different words, it helps you, you know, because I, I believe in always, I'm not, I'm never done learning. 
I'm never done figuring out what I believe and 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 what is real and and you know what is right. I just feel like I try to always stay open, um, you know, um, and I just feel like kindness is always my motto, no matter what. <laughs> but anyway, I'm rambling. Um, I felt like at the at, when COVID hit and all the nonsense really kicked into high gear, my thought was this, all of the top players like Fauci and, oh, help me out here, Javier, all the names of the top people, they're getting up there in years. Oh, and yeah. I, felt, I felt like some of them were like, by gum, we've been planning this for a very long time. And they decided that they're going to pull the plug now. I don't think they were quite ready. They sped things up so fast that it they exposed themselves. But I think they wanted to see it before they died because by gum, they this was their baby, this global takeover and everything. But and another way I've described it, um, Andrew, I think Javier, you've heard me say this. It's like for a long time, there's been like an alien spaceship hovering over the planet and people have been pointing up at it and say, it's there, it's there. And nobody could see it. Like you're crazy. Tinfoil hat, anti-science, whatever. Um, but now those entities are using so much energy to move this thing forward at lightning speed. It's like they've become decloaked. It's like it keeps a woo woo and people are going, holy cow, what the heck? And you're like, yeah, I told you it's there, right? Because I, I do feel like the forces of, of of evil, of greed, or whatever you want to call it, and you probably have got a better word for it. Um, I feel like they're going to be their own undoing. Because I really do believe in, in, the, in the spirit of human goodness and kindness is there deep within humanity, and that it can be awakened. And I think as much as we have to keep doing shows like this and interviewing people like you and talking and pushing information out there and finding new platforms and way to reach the people, I feel like we're going to get through this and, and just shining a spotlight on, on the evilness is going to wake them up. But I'm a Pollyanna. What do you think? You know, am I in the I heading think? in the right direction what do I think here? Or what do I know? <laughs> Which one do you want to know? Oh, um, because I'm I'm going. I'm not basing this on on any feeling. I'm basing this on God's word. Okay. So when you say that you think that the that the evil doers will sped everything up, I don't think they sped it up at all. I think this is all completely in what God is allowing to happen. Mm. Um, and I like I said, I don't believe that there is a good and a bad side. There there are many there are many regimes that are interfighting with each other. But the but, way I would describe it is this: is that they have to to um coalesce right now to get to the end and it's almost like they're saying we have to be united foes and then we'll fight it out for when they're when we've taken out enough people and the reason why they're doing what they're doing with america is because america literally is the last bastion of hope for the rest of the world and the only thing that's stopping that is the fact that we tote guns they cannot <laughs> right. they cannot walk into our our yards our our you know, castle doctrine, whatever you want to call it. And they can't come in and force anything because there are more guns. There are billions of guns and trillions of rounds of ammunition in this country. And you're not going to come and take over. So what do you have to do? You have to get as many people sick or dead in a population like this. And you've got to come up and you've got to conjure and figure out ways to have more mass shootings, more innocent lives be taken so that you can concoct the narrative 
that you can then go in and get rid of these guns. And you can call me a tinfoil hat where remember this, remember this interview, Bernadette, because there's many things that I've either said or I'm going to say here in the next 25 minutes that you will come back to and you'll go, oh, wow, he said that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. It is Good Friday. Jesus Christ was never option B. Jesus Christ was always option A. He was always going to do what he did at the cross. And there was nothing that was going to stop God from getting his will to be done. And right now what's happening is that God is giving the leash. And so hold on, let me let me step back because it's one thing that I've said in a couple of my videos and one thing that people don't fully grasp and we don't understand this from scripture because it's not talked about in depth. But what happened between God and Lucifer when he cast him out? Something went down in that transaction that we don't know the true full nature of. And what I mean by that is God gave Satan, Lucifer, authority over the earth for a time. So he's on a leash. He can only go so far. He can't take people out because God is sovereign even unto death. But there are things that he's doing that he himself realizes that his time is now running out, which is why you're seeing the amped up nature of his minions and what they're doing. Cause they all see what's happening. They all realize that there are things going on right now on this earth that the rumblings are beyond, you know, um, unmistakable, right? We know what's happening. We know that there are weather, weather that's being manipulated. We know there are earthquakes and different things that are going on that are not natural. They're being manipulated by, um, probably militaries all over this, you know, the world, but yes. ours is one of them. When you then realize too, that our own DOD were the ones that were commissioned to actually go out and do COVID. And so when you go back and you listen to a guy like Fauci and his right hand man, um, when they talked about, I think it was in 16, they were given a presentation mm-hmm. and they basically said, look, the flu vaccine isn't working. We've got to have something that amps up the narrative. So we've got to have a different pathogen. So, that's when they concocted the COVID scam back then. And then when you realize that there's 4,100 patents around COVID, that a lot of them are up to 15 to 20 years old. And then you realize this isn't something that just happened or, or that they had to speed up. The only reason they sped it up was because Trump wanted him his fingerprints to be on warp speed. So when you go back and you listen to what I did, it's a 35-minute video. And I go back and I break down from Event 201 in October mm-hmm. of 2019 all the way through January of 2021. And you understand what, how, how 5G, how the, the vaccine mandate that went on in Wuhan, that all happened in December, all at the same time. Then people started dying. Remember, 5G vaccines, dead people in the streets. America, what happens? Supposedly COVID hits, people aren't dying. Nobody's dying in the streets. They're only dying in hospitals. The beginning of the remdesivir trial happens at the, in February, same time that we realize that there is this thing coming to America. Then uh, March 15th, the lockdown. Right after that, Trump brings in Gilead, who's been doing the remdesivir trials, brings him into the White House, kicks off, tells him about this wonder drug that's going to be the protocol drug, and we start watching people die in May of twenty of 2020, or yeah, yeah, of 2020. And then you start seeing ventilators and death and death and death and death. The tickers on all the the news stations go through the roof. We start getting, you know, obviously the masks and all this crap that goes on. But everyone's dying in hospitals. Nobody's dying outside. Then you get into the the summer 
you realize too that during this whole time, Musk is putting up six to eight thousand satellites into space. Um, Starlink, five uh, G is being rolled out with T-Mobile. Uh, the the that's the the minor band. Then you got the broadband, which is the the Verizon and um, uh, uh, AT and T bands that came out in twenty twenty one. But all these things coalesce December fourth, so uh, one month after the rigged election. Trump and Congress signed into the Internet of Things. Okay. That was on December 4th, 2020. Ten days later, December 14th of 2020, the first bioweapons were administered. You can't make this stuff up. It's all in the timeline. Right after that, so you get by the end of the year, actually in January, or I'm sorry, in December, people started dying in this country outside of the hospitals. And then many people started dying outside of the hospitals in January. Mm-hmm. So it was round one of the jabs. Many people died. Round two, even more people. Round three, even more. And it just goes exponentially more. The more that you get the, the messenger RNA and the graphene oxide into these people's bodies, and they're all be connected to the internet of things because that's all part of the patents. And so when you realize that these things happened and they didn't happen on a whim, these things happened because there was a timeline that was set out that was specific and they hit the timeline like clockwork. If you go back and listen to Trump, he told everyone that he was going to lose the election. It was going to be rigged. Just go back and listen to his speeches again. Yeah. He kept telling people that he was going to have the bioweapons done by the end of the year. He just didn't, he would never give a date. And then, oh, just by happenstance, it all happens to be that they, that literally they start giving the bioweapons when? Same day that the Internet of Things kicks off. Now, um, explain what the Internet of Things is. The Internet of Things is all the 5G towers along with the satellites that are all interconnected to create the Internet of Things. They, they, They sell this as they have to have the technology to make everything faster for everyone because we just need more and more. I can get 100 to 150 meg download speed with my LTE phone. I don't need 5G. We've never needed 5G. Nobody needs 5G. No. You don't need a band that's a thousand times more, more sinister to the human body than what 4G yep. is. Yep. Okay. The stuff that I did with Robert Young, the unmasked documentary, he was watching it punch holes and sell walls from one and 2G. Those wow. bandwidths are like this. Then you get 3G, then you get 4G, and then 5G is like this. It's, it's not even in – it would be like here's 1G to 4G, right? I don't know if you can see this, okay? 5G would be like off camera, a hundred feet. That's yeah, it's microwave. It's a microwave. It's frying yeah. the people that it's that it's coming into contact with in an alarming rate. And so when people don't understand what it does to um, the oxygen molecule, how the hemoglobin cannot take that oxygen molecule, transport it to the capillaries, so that the lungs can get can can do what they do. So when that happens, you end up getting an acidic nature in the body. The body starts to decompensate. Uh, you've got three different fluids, blood, interstitial, and, and intracellular fluids. And if the body cannot stay in an alkaline state in those three things, the body starts to die. And mm-hmm. so when, when you realize that, that uh, you know, if a, if, a, if a pretty normal human cell, and I'm amplifying this because obviously, you know, but they're round. A round cell or a round, you know, red blood cell, they're pretty much round. But when you have a nodule that comes off of it because the cell wall is breaking down, whether it be through... Uh, age, whether it be through acidosis, chemical poisoning, those type of things, there is a nodule. There is a, a corona effect, which Robert was one of the first to actually coin the term corona effect. And what breaks off is called an exosome. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Guess what? Virologists and uh, epidemiologists call that exosome a virus. A virus. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so when you realize that, that these exosomes are endogenously created by a specific human being, that if that thing gets airborne, you know, track with me here because you want concrete facts or thoughts, track with me. If that exosome gets into the air, gets into another human, and then supposedly infects that human, that DNA from that specific host, creator, right, person, would then create a, 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 a one-off that would be different than if they got something and they did it, right? So mm-hmm. if this supposed coronavirus, COVID-2, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, the the gain of function, you know, bat theory, whatever, you know, the, the BS that they've hawked to us. But if you, if you take that and if, if Javier gets it and gives it to me and I get it and I supposedly give it to you, well, wouldn't you think that his, his DNA strand is going to be attached to that at some level. And then mine would be attached to it at some level. And then it would attach to, so now you've got all these different genomic sequences that are all skewed. So whatever you get, if it went from person to person to person, if it jumped three generations, you're going to have a different genomic code three generations down the road, right? Yeah. How in the and, world yeah. would, would a specific vaccine work for him? Yeah. So Javier, I want your input there because he's got a PhD in neurobiology. I want to hear because um, he's nodding with you. So so there's, yeah. The, so for example, the exosome theory, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, a lot of people were complaining about was, you know, the spike protein all of a sudden jumping to other people. Mm-hmm. Like, Pfizer had that big concern where they wanted to know if you took this shot, we want to know who you're, who you're living with and all that. Uh So one of the things that they found out, and this is something that came up on uh, giga ohm radio. um, There's another PhD that basically started doing his, his own analysis. And what he was finding out is that when people took the shots, they started to to, uh, release exosomes with the S protein RNA in there. Okay. So, right. So basically it's, so how is it that some people get sick and other people don't get sick if some people took the jabs um, in the same household? It's because people are not sneezing out virus. They're sneezing out exosomes. And those exosomes all of a sudden can act like, quote, viruses, and they can express the S protein. All of a sudden people start getting sick, start getting clots, even, and some people that never took the, uh, the, uh, the mRNA injections, all of a sudden, they can also start developing rashes, clots, things like that, because you're spewing out exosomes. Well, but then that also now you also come in terrain theory, because if the terrain is pristine, then a lot of those things don't even occur. And that's one of the things that Robert talked about is that people are like, oh, Robert's a crazy man. He doesn't believe in all. No, Robert believes that that bacteria, that mold, that fungus, all those things are very, very parasites. They're all very, very real. What he what he pushes back on is the fact that he he offered a a five million dollar bounty to Anthony Fauci back in the 90s to prove to him. I'm actually sorry, it was in the 80s to prove to him that the AIDS virus existed. And Fauci would never come forward because if in in all the patients that Robert treated, they were all on AZT. They were all on the drug and the drug was killing most of the people that were on the drug, Mm i.e. I'll come into 2020 and 2021 and now. Who's dying? The jabbed. Yep. Who's hospitalized? The jabbed. Yeah, you know? and and the graphs on the high wire this week, um, they were showing the graphs in Australia where there was like no cases of COVID, no deaths, everything was fine. They were completely isolated themselves and they introduced the jabs and then the, all of a sudden spike, huge numbers of, of deaths, of injury and COVID. It, it all came 
it was it's so graphic there because they did isolate themselves. You can really see before and after shot what was going on. I got a question for both of you mm-hmm. with these exosomes or exomes. Am I putting an extra syllable in there? Um, So are these capable? You said it's the the spike protein. Is it capable of, of, of multiplying? It's not the messenger RNA. It's actually the protein generated by the mRNA. So like you'd be exposed, like if somebody is exuding it, it's in their breath or it's in their saliva or their sweat and you get exposed to it and, and, and take it in. It's just that it's not going to increase in volume, I guess, is what I'm asking. It doesn't um, multiply the way, a, you know, bacteria would multiply or natural uh, viral infection would multiply. Well, I, I can only I mean, I, I can only um, opine on what the things that I've witnessed myself and then, the, you know, what I've listened to with Robert. Um, and, and I will say this. When I sat there across from him and, and interviewed him in 2020, so it was August of 2020, we're only like, you know, five months into the, the whole charade. Uh, I sat there and I was like, is this guy nuts? Like, is, is he, is this real? Like, am, am I, have I not understood the human body the way that I think? And I'm telling you, if you go back and listen to the things that he said and what happened, he's about 99% right. He called everything that happened the way that it happened. He even talked about the graphene oxide. He talked about 5G. He talked about the things that were going to happen, how bodies were going to break down, how it, how 5G just obliterates the elderly because their cell, their cell walls are, they're old. Um, mm-hmm. They have more, they have more acid, you know, but, but just like, you know, in anything and, and in my own life, you know, me being, I was, well, what was I? 40, so 49, 48 that year. Um, I got sick in December. And it was the weirdest thing. And I'm telling you right now, this wasn't, I knew that it was something completely different because it was this dry nagging cough. And it was, um, it was, it was, it was oppressive. And, and, and what all I can say is like, I've had, I hadn't had the flu or what you'd call the flu 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. But what happened around our house were, cause you guys have heard of Dave Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the the financial guru guy, Dave Ramsey, he's huge. Anyway, he he built this huge thing across the street. It's his it's his headquarters, his corporate headquarters. And so we live right behind it. But what we realized is that there were five G towers that went up all over right across Whoa. the street. Whoa. So we were like, so I realized, oh wow. So there's like there's a lot going on here that that we're not fully grasping. Mm-hmm. And but the other thing was is that my kids didn't get sick like that, and my wife didn't get sick like that. I got sick. Hmm. And nobody else in the house got sick with that, those types of symptomologies. Um, but let me, let me say this, this past summer, we went to Michigan and we were around our family members who were double jabbed. There were five of them. We were with them for eight days. We, and then we went to an amusement park called Cedar Point. It's in uh, Sandusky, Ohio. We came home after, so after 10 days of being gone around to jab people the entire time, we all got sick. Hmm. And it was like we all had radiation, the symptomology of radiation poisoning from hmm. being in, in, in and amongst people that were emitting. Um, because here's the thing. You ready for this? None of them were sick. None of them. But we came home and we all got sick. Wow. And so uh, and, I, and also I think I was telling you that there are there are apps now that you can actually look at who's emitting what. 
because there are many unconnectable Mac ID addresses now that people are pushing out. And this is not hocus pocus. This is real stuff that's happening. And I can go in, I can go to airplanes, airports, take people out in the middle of the country, and I can look at my phone and go, okay, he's got a phone on him. That's that one. And there's two down here that are unconnectable. And I can look at them and go, let me guess. You got your advice. And, you know, we're just down to the last few minutes and I want you to be able to tell people where they can find your work and read more about what you're doing. Okay. Um, But I want to go back maybe in a future show and talk about that technology that you're talking about, because I find it fascinating, but I don't know anything about it other than people say it exists. So, um, so Andrew, tell people about your website. It's standing in the gap, standing in the gap film.com. Yes. Um, uh, other one more thing I'm going to be adding to that is uh, I'm going down to Mississippi in about a week and a half. I was asked uh, yesterday to go down to, uh, I'm sorry, I'm having a brain fart right now on the city that got obliterated by the tornado. Um, oh, but a good friend of mine, um, she knows a woman that grew up there. She's okay. her, her family still lives there. So I'm going to go down there and I'm going to do a, a mini little documentary. I'm going to interview people because they're going to come back to Nashville and do a couple um big concerts in the summer to help raise money to, because there's that the area is devastated. They're very impoverished down there and they just okay. don't have anything. So uh, I'm going to do my part and just go down there, drive and, you know, get the footage, come back, edit it. And so make sure you're home by Saturday for our big launch party. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll, I'll be home. Be, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go during the week so that, okay. yes, I can't forget about that. It's already in the calendar. Yeah. I promise you. And my yeah. wife will take pictures. So awesome. My wife too. Well, bless your heart. Safe journey to those people. Thank you for covering what's going on with the tornado victims down there. Um, You've been listening. This is Andrew McGarry at standinginthegapfilm.com. You've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We will see you next week. Take care. Hi, I'm Brian Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PGI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PGI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit pji.org. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.